Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad you're listening to the sermon series titled Tis the Season, where Pastor Ryan will be encouraging us on how to be healthy, strong, and unified as we head into the last lap of 2021. Thanks for listening. Amen, church. You guys can have a seat. Merry early Christmas. If you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're eight weeks into our last series. Tis the season. We began that on October the 24th. <clears throat> when I kicked that off October 24th, I predicted, I predicted that this would be a season that, um, that changes come quick and that changes would come fast. And probably some of you were like, yes, that prediction is already true in my life because my family is right in the thick of Christmas crazy. Anybody in here? You're right in the thick of it. And I pray this morning that, as I've said, even since the beginning of the year when we kicked off um, the last five series with Be the One, and it's this, the entire year has been focused on really two things. To grow the church and to strengthen the body. That's it. To grow the church and to strengthen the body. And so the message of the title this morning is this. Tis the season to say yes to discipleship. Tis the season to say yes to discipleship. Discipleship is one of those terms that you're going to hear in church. If you've been in church any, any amount of time, you've heard discipleship. What is our focus? Is our focus on discipleship or is our focus on evangelism? But they work in conjunction. They're a circle because as you evangelize, you disciple. And as you disciple, you evangelize. And so we have to have a focus on discipleship because it's one of the major organs of the body of Scripture. I mean, from cover to cover, I'm talking about from the table of contents to the maps, what you see is the common thread woven throughout the 66 books of the canon. And it's all woven together throughout the story of God as a call of the people of God to himself. So what is it? PR, what, what, what is your definition of discipleship? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's on your sermon guide, it's on your notes. It's this. Discipleship is a very simple concept. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated. It's this. It's, it's following instructions of someone that you want to be so they can take you where you need to go. That's my definition of discipleship. And we hear it in church, but it's not just a church term. I mean, coaches disciple players. Bosses disciple employees. Husbands do not disciple wives. We are called to lead. <laughs> That's just a marriage tip. But teachers do disciple their students and parents do disciple their children. Remember the definition. It's following instructions of someone that you want to be so they can take you where you need to go. And if you, look at the, if you look at the text, if you look all throughout the, the, the Old Testament, New Testament, you see this. You see God calling 
people to follow him so they can better know who he is and what he does. You have Adam and Eve. There was discipleship, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Abraham and Sarah, Moses, King David, the prophets, Joseph and Mary. Then you got the boys. You got Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Simon, Judas, Philip, Matthew, James, Nathaniel, Thomas. I mean, the list could go on and on. On and on, what you find is men and women of all ages who are called to be disciples. Disciple, following instructions of someone that you want to be so they can take you where you need to go. And there's a difference. There's a difference between <clears throat> there's a difference between believing, believing in God and believing Him. And here's what I mean by that. One challenges the mind. One changes the heart. Amen, church? One provides a label. The other provides eternal security. One is knowledge. The other is discipleship. And before all time and for all time, God's heart is one of discipleship. That's the point. And what I think, and what we're going to impact in Luke chapter 1, is that Mary of Nazareth gives us a beautiful example of what happens when you say yes to discipleship. So let's stand together. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 26. Luke chapter 1. If you're willing and able. Thank you guys for being here this morning. We've got a full house. See what a paved parking lot will do? My goodness. Get the gravel out of here. People just, if you pave it, they will come. No, I'm teasing. God's faithful for sure. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. I think we have it on the screen as well. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob Forever and his kingdom will have no end. Man, I'm homesick. I'm longing for home, church. Verse 34 And Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Verse 35 The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The idea is to dwell around. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Y'all look at Mary's response. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. 
Then the angel left her. Let's pray together, church. Father, I pray, Lord, this morning you would give us a heart of Mary. A heart that you would allow to be made afresh and anew according to your word. God, I pray that this moment would be a moment that you reveal yourself to each person that's in here. Man, woman, boy, girl, young or old. Lord, you would reveal yourself in a way that tenderizes our hearts so that we would be able to sense you in a personal way. and We would be able to say yes to whatever you call us to do. To the praise of your name. Through the power of your word. And for the people that you have placed around us. God, we thank you, Lord, for assembling us here around your throne. You are worthy, Lord. You are the only one that can open the scroll. The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. God, you set us free to call us to yourself, to walk that narrow path. So God, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts You would break the chains. You would shine the light in the darkest of places so that we could live life according to your good purposes. God, we thank you, Lord, for assembling us in this place this morning so we could just simply platform you, your glory, and the work of the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Tis the season to say yes to discipleship. Let's look at verse 26. Again, church. Verse 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Saying yes to discipleship. Is going to lead to new hope in life's darkest places. Those two verses right there kind of sum that up. Saying yes to discipleship is going to lead to some new hope in some dark places. There's a lot of details right there if you read verse 26 and 27 with intentionality. What you see is this man, right out of the gate, You see that an angel was sent to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to Joseph of the house of David. There's some specifics right here. Don't overlook the specific. God is in the details. What God was doing is he was preparing a narrow road through which the world would be called to himself. The Christmas story, it's it's budding right here. The discipleship process of leading and following was about to begin. And that narrow place was Nazareth. Nazareth was the off-ramp for heaven. Think about it like that. Nazareth. I mean, this is, if you're talking about no-name towns and no-name places, Nazareth was that. You just thought it was Starsville. You thought it was newborn in Manceville. You thought it was Covington. The Henderson community. I mean, this place, this place was was a no-name town of all no-name towns in Galilee. It was on the the backside of Caesar's empire. Most biblical maps don't even have Nazareth on it. It wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. 
So it's hard to imagine that God would fulfill anything prophetic through this place. Not only the location, but, but it's, it's morale. And here's what I mean. See, the people that were there, the Jews during this time, they were depressed, they were weary, they felt alone, they felt overlooked because it appeared that God was done working. That may be you this morning. You might have brought that attitude in here this morning. God, are you still working? I feel alone, I feel overlooked, I feel like nobody's noticing me. I mean, these people, these people were once a mighty nation. Life was good. God's hand was moving, just like he had promised through King David. And then under King Solomon, the nation divides. It falls into chaos. Israel divides. It went through a series of wicked rulers who led the people away from true worship. And if you look back in, in 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, what you see is there are these Periods of revival, sporadic, but they never get back to the glory days. They were longing, they were homesick. And all along, yeah, the prophets promised that there would be this coming Messiah that would restore David's kingdom, a suffering, a suffering king that would come, a suffering king that would rescue them and lead them to peace. But that hope, it was hanging on like a hair in a butter biscuit. It, I, in my house, I say it's hanging on like a loose tooth. I mean, that, that hope was fading. It, it just wasn't there. The world seemed to have moved on. The Greeks. The world seemed to have just moved on. The Greeks had taken over. They changed the culture. Then the Romans took over the Greeks and they changed just about everything else. It seemed not only that the world had moved on, it seemed God had moved on. You ever felt like God just moved on? Like he's just overlooked you and he's just moving on. That's where these people were. It felt like they, they felt like the Lord had just moved on. The prophets, they had stopped speaking for God. For 400 years, it seemed that God was silent. The people were divided by church leadership. They were jaded by government corruption. And they, but don't forget, they knew, they knew the prophecies. They, they knew those. They knew that the Messiah was coming. They had just lost hope that it would ever happen in their lifetime. It's very well possible, church, that Jesus is right, the tribulation is right here. Just turn your eyes toward Israel. I'm telling you. I'm, you're going to have to dig into media. But if you can find some good Israeli news right now, we are right on the cusp of something that this earth has never experienced. Right now. But God, for Israel, for Mary and for Joseph, but God, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick? I am. But God, but God. And then what happens? Gabriel. Gabriel was God's, was God's special, you know, angelic messenger. I don't want you to overlook this. His presence is significant. We overlook it in the Christmas story. But his only other appearance in the entire Bible occurs in Daniel. When he proclaims a coming anointed one. And here he is again. Guess what he's doing? 
He's proclaiming a coming anointed one. He, he proclaims this anointed one right here in Nazareth with news that the anointed one was here and it's going to reside in the womb of a young peasant Jewish girl hanging out the backside of nowhere, Roman Empire in Nazareth. In a forgotten land and a forgotten people. If you have labeled your life with the blood of the Lamb, you're not forgotten. There is no place that that, that, that that blood doesn't cover and to call. And the point is this, it tells us something. It tells us that there is no place that God cannot work to call His people to follow Him. There's no night too dark to God be the glory. Because if you hang out on this earth long enough, you're going to have some dark nights. But let me remind you, the night's always the darkest right before the dawn. No people are too far. That's a comfort to me. No people are too far. No situation that God isn't willing to use to call people to follow Him. Did you get that, church? No night too dark. No people too far gone. No situation that God cannot use to call people back to Himself. I want you to remember... God didn't give us Christmas because we needed a holiday. We don't need another holiday. God gave us Christmas because we need a light to light the narrow path of righteousness for His namesake. That's why we have Christmas. Psalm 119, 105 is a popular text. It's beautiful. It says this. Your word. Let's read it together, church. Your word is a lamp for my feet. And a light on my path. Christ is our song of the night. A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Why would the scriptures use a lamp and a light as a metaphor for the word of God? You'd think something a little brighter would help. You know what I'm saying? Like a 50,000 lumen light bar. You guys seen those? It will blind you. How about lightning? That's pretty bright. How about the sun? Next time the sun's out, stare into... No, don't stare into the sun. You know, it will blind you. You know, if you're trying to illuminate something, you would use something a little lighter, brighter than a lamp and a light. But here's, here's what I think the point is. When, when, when the Scripture uses those things as a metaphor, what it's doing is it's showing us the way to be a disciple of Jesus. And it's this. It's one consistent, intentional, Focused step at a time. See, if the whole area in front of us were illuminated, we wouldn't walk in it. We wouldn't have to trust in it. We would just go marching forward depending on our own abilities to see what was around the corner, right? So we have a light for our feet and a lamp unto our path. You don't follow somebody on accident. It's on purpose. You know how that feeling you know, you come out of the grocery store and you notice somebody's behind you. You take a right and they're still behind you. You take a left and they're still behind you. So then you take a right, left, left, right, even though you don't know where that's going, but you're trying to dodge them. Because you're thinking what? Every move I'm making, they're making, they must be following me. So you don't follow on accident. It's purposeful. Life with purpose. That's our tagline. I'm not sure if you know that. Church 213, life with purpose. Because Church 213 is a place, and my heart's desire as your pastor, and our staff's heart 
is that this is a place that you can take that next step in discipleship. And I'm willing to say this. I'm willing to say that the moment a Christ follower walks away from intentional daily discipleship, y'all catch this, is the moment that a believer begins to feel alone, anxious, afraid, hopeless, and confused about what's going on around them because the narrow life that they're called to walk goes dark. That's a bad feeling when your light goes out, isn't it? So remember, discipleship is this simple concept. It's, it's following instructions of someone that you want to be so that they can take you where you need to go because you can't follow on accident. Y'all write this down. A believer that neglects personal discipleship is like a ship without a rudder. They're unprepared for the looming storms. So don't ever buy this lie. Don't, don't, don't ever buy this lie that God's done working around you. Especially in that place that it feels like it's no use. Discipleship is that light in dark places. But catch this. Discipleship will oftentimes keep you out of those dark places. Amen? I mean, there's a reason why I need to turn my lights on at night. There's a reason why there's a law against that. You don't believe me? Just try it. There's a reason why I turn my lights on at night. Because I don't want to end up in the ditch. God's word is lamps and lights to keep us from crashing our lives because we are operating outside the boundaries of that narrow path. And I don't know what your Nazareth might be. I don't know what your Nazareth might be this morning. But here's what I do know. If you need a lamp and a light in that place, saying yes, catch this, saying yes to consistent, intentional, and focused discipleship is a really good move to new hope. If you want to experience God in a fresh way, experience God in a fresh way. Take that next step of discipleship. Don't be connected from the vine. Stop driving around at night with your lights off. Something else, though. Look at, look at verse 28. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting it could be. Then the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you, and, and, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Yeah, saying, saying yes to discipleship is going to give you a new hope in dark places, absolutely. But saying yes to discipleship, y'all catch this, it is a privileged opportunity. It is a privileged opportunity. Privileged opportunity. The world may have been asleep. Israel may have been unready. 
But on that fateful day when Gabriel visited, y'all catch this, God was moving the plan of discipleship forward. God was moving His way, His timing, and what a privilege it was that God would even do something in her life. Don't overlook that. That God would even work in our life. Who, who am I that God would want to even call me to Himself? To work in us, to, to have my you know, conscience and conviction, to put people in my life, to, to put His Word, to, to put those verses at the right time on my stream. When it's like, God, you're working in my life. We don't, we don't see it for the privilege that it is a lot of times. But you have somebody famous that, that would walk in. And, oh, my word. What? Who am I that this person would even want to talk to me? Who are we that the King of glory would work around us. We, we've been stuck on Psalm 8. I think Psalm 8, it, 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 is, it exemplifies the Christmas story. It's, a, it's becoming one of my favorite psalms. I want to read it to you. Let's read it together. Psalm 8 says this, Our Lord, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. We talked about that last week. From the mouths of infants and, and nursing babes, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe the heavens, your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? Look at the privilege there. A son of man that you would even look after him. Who am I that God will put breath in my lungs? You made him a little less than God. Crown him with glory and with honor. We're in that in-between space, right? From last week, that 45-degree angle. You made him rule over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen. They, they keep time, by the way. As well as all the animals in the wild and the birds of the sky. And the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name. Throughout the earth. God is faithful. Amen. But he even thinks about us. He calls us. I don't want us to miss that. That God desired to work through Mary. And that's what she says. She's like, wait. wait. Me? You talking about. You talking about. You talking about me? God, you want to work in me? Yes. God wants to work in you. What a privilege. God was, at that point, see, I want you to realize this, God was only experienced in the temple by certain people on certain days. Like you had to, you had to have your stuff together to, to experience God. You had to be somebody. You had to have your ducks in a row, your, your T's crossed, your I's dotted. And so when the word came from Mary that you have found favor with God, she was floored at all of this. She's like, wait a minute, I live in Nazareth. You know my age. You know who I belong to. But the angel was right there. And that didn't just happen all, you know, all the time. See, in, in our culture, of course, we, we, we wouldn't be so skeptical. But Mary was skeptical because God had not spoken verbally to Israel for how many years? 400. Our nation's not even that old. For 400 years, God had been silent. Longer than the United States of America has even existed. 
So yeah, she was surprised. We kind of overlooked that point. Angels were a big deal. They're, they're, not, they're not a big deal to us because they're, they're everywhere in our culture. They're on top of our trees. Mary's on top of that tree out there. Martha's at the house. My tree. We see angels in movies. I mean, they're flying around. You know what I mean? You know, they're all around us. They're in movies. They show up on TV shows. But catch this. In the thousand years of biblical history, there are just a few times where these innumerable created spiritual beings who guarded God's worship, His holiness, and acted as messengers even show up as winged flesh. Just a few times. And every time, they scare people to death. Every time. People were scared. They should have been scared. You know why? Because the the text describes them as as bright as lightning. Clothed in white, as white as snow. Numbers 22, Balaam and the donkey freaked out. Luke 2, the shepherds, the text says, was terrified out in the field. The Roman guards at the resurrection fell like dead men. Y'all see what I'm saying? This was a big deal. And Mary right here in Luke said that she had found favor. Which means she had been given unmerited, unmerited access to God. Discipleship. Mary had been given this special calling. But there's really nothing special about Mary. Other than God working in her life. God calling her to do something. This this warranted, there was nothing special in her life that warranted this kind of special favor. And yet God visited her and chose her to be his disciple. She literally carried the gospel. When I thought about that this week, it's like, my word. She was going with the gospel. She was carrying the hope of humanity. God was calling her, though, just to follow. And what a calling it was. And she knew that there was no way that she had worked herself into that position. And see, Mary knew what we should know. Y'all, that discipleship is a privilege. The favor of God, that He would even choose to work in us, to call us and to lead us. Y'all, it's not earned. It's not even deserved. And we come in and we kind of live life like, oh, I expect God to work for me and in me and through me. Who do we think we are? I was just sleeping last night. Most likely just, in the words of my Guyanese friends, just dribbling while I was sleeping. And yet God was still sustaining me and using me. Who are we to get up in the morning and expect God to do anything other than just wipe us off the timeline of humanity? Mary was Mary knew it was a privilege. Mary knew that discipleship is an exclusive work of God for the will of God and for the glory of God. It's all about Him. And I pray, y'all, I pray we never, we never overlook the opportunity, the privilege of just getting to know God more. I pray we never get over it. I wonder how many believers have claimed Christianity for years knowing the promised eternity of a new kingdom but living like they've forgotten the unmerited favor of the privilege of discipleship 
That, that's, that's possible. But Mary couldn't shake it. Mary could not shake the fact. Mary couldn't shake the fact that God was calling her to discipleship. When God is calling you, God is calling you. Think about that. Sitting a text thread from, from Pastor Dom. I mean, that's important. He's an important guy. Teens, it's not your parents. It's not your mom, dad. It's not your bosses. It's God calling you. What a privilege. Y'all write this down. A lack of interest in discipleship is a sign a Christian has become entitled to their salvation. That'll preach right there. I wish I had some friends in here. A lack of disciple, a lack of a lack of interest in discipleship, you catch that, is a sign that a Christian has become entitled to their salvation. I pray we're never entitled to our salvation. I pray we never get over God calling our name. Amen. Casting Crowns has a beautiful song. It says this, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, not because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. Tell you what, Mark Hall's a real deal. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. But still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And you've told me who I am. I'm yours. Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again. Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Y'all, I pray we never get over the privilege of being called to follow the one that calms the sea. So your daily devotional, y'all, your, pray, your, your prayer journal, that small group, ladies' ministry, men's conference, men's conference. We've got some men's conference spots, men's conference, outreach events, in-reach events, meal trains, and prayer chains. Y'all, we can send a meal train around here to God be the glory. It is all unmerited favor. Church life, discipleship, it is a privileged opportunity. There are people... There are people around this globe that would give anything to have what we have. And we have brothers and sisters who were unsure how they, would, how they would make it to fellowship because they were doing it in the secret of the night. They were wondering, there are people right now that are, that are cowering because they're afraid they're going to lose their life because of their stand. And it's been said that all it, it takes 12 drops of rain to keep 13 Baptists out of church. We've lost the privilege. We've lost it. What this is as a faith family, this is a privilege. It is a privilege to be called and to grow in your relationship with Christ. Look at verse 34. 
Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I've not had sexual relations with a man. And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 100% God, 100% man. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible for God. Verse 38. I probably would have asked a few more questions. I'm just going to be honest. Right? I'd have said, hey, let's let's slow the roll here. I've got a few more things I need to ask. How exactly, you know, I'm OCD, EFG, HIJ. I'm a type A micromanager. I like to know how stuff's going to work. I love it when a good plan comes together. But not Mary. She said this, I'm the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. See, saying yes to discipleship is a hard choice for all followers. It's a hard choice for all followers. She was considering these things. How's this going to work? What does this mean for me? What is the next step for me? Mary was filled with wonder. We we know that because she said, how can this be? How can God do something this unbelievable in my life? But I want you to see something, though. She she asked this question, not not out of unbelief, the way that that we see earlier in the text. Where Zechariah asked questions. She asked this question not out of unbelief that it could happen, but out of a puzzlement of how it was going to happen. She never questioned that, it, that this could be possible. She knew it could be possible. She just needed a little bit of explanation of how this was going to happen. One of our first Christmases... Uh, We've been where we live now for 12 years. Our second house had a, has a higher ceiling than our first house. And so we had had <clears throat> artificial trees for a while. Um, but when we moved in to where we are now, we wanted a live tree. We wanted to, we wanted to bring that live tree in the house. And so we go out, and, and I think you were great with child, weren't you? Yep. And so we'll chalk it up, we'll chalk it up to that. So we're out in the Christmas tree field, and we're walking around, and she has her eye on one. She's like, that's the one. It's calling my name. Debbie. She's like, that's the tree that we need in our house. And I'm like, babe, that's a big, that's a big tree. She's like, it'll fit. I'm like, I, you know, I know our seedlings are higher than our other house, but that, that's got some height to it. It'll work. I promise it'll work. That tree's like nine foot. It'll work. I'm like, all right, all right. Happy wife, happy life. Happy spouse, happy house, too. Good mood, happy dude. 
But at that point, it wasn't so, so, so I chop it down, we put it on the top, we get that thing home, and we run it in the house, and it was like 14 feet. Now, it was probably all of 12. It was too high. How's this going to work? What am I going to do? I didn't believe that it would make it home. I was just trying to figure out how this was going to happen. Because that tree was going to my house. And so I had to make some minor um, adjustments with a power tool. Here's what I'm trying to say. Unlike Zachariah, see, he didn't believe that Elizabeth was pregnant. He doubted God. Mary believed it would happen. She just didn't know how. And it's at this point the angel told her the road that she was about to walk as a follower. This was going to be an exclusive work of God. The situation that you're looking around, like, how is this going to work? Let me say this. It's possible the only way that it's going to work out is if God works exclusively in your life in that situation. Just throw your hands up and say... I don't need you as my co-pilot. That, that, that sign drives me nuts. God is my co-pilot. I don't want him. I need him driving the thing. God is not your co-pilot. He is Lord. He is Master. He is Savior. He is King of all. And this was going to be an exclusive work of God. Mary's womb would be an agent of conception by the Spirit of God making Christ the Holy Son of God. And Mary had one simple response. Look in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. You know what she did? She positioned herself under the word of God and just let it work. She threw her hands up and let the power of God's word do what it says it would do. Shape you and mold you, equipping you for every good work because it's living and it's active. In other words, Mary said yes to God. That was it. She said yes. She, she, said, she said yes to God even though she was in Nazareth. Even though the situation around her looked impossible, she simply positioned herself under the word of God and just said yes. Do with your word in me whatever it's going to do. I just want to be a vessel. I want to be an empty vessel for you. She said yes to discipleship. Knowing that that road was going to be hard. Y'all, this was no small yes. This was no small yes. If you unpack the scriptures and, and you notice what the disciples were called to, it was never an easy yes. You realize every disciple was martyred except for John who died of natural causes. Every apostle was killed for their faith. And not one of them said, I don't think it's real. We're making this whole thing up. No way. Because if nobody would die for a lie. Nobody would die for a lie. It was absolutely true. They all went to their death. Some by sword. Some by the cross. Some being skinned to death, boiled alive. They all went to their death knowing that Jesus was king. Their call to discipleship was no small yes. Mary's call to discipleship was no small yes. Here's what she's saying yes to. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. We talked about Joseph being a peacemaker. 
Mary was saying yes to carrying the shame of an unwed pregnancy. She knew that going in. Nazareth was small, 400 people. Some of your neighborhoods are bigger than that. Mary said yes to the pressure of raising Jesus, the Christ child. Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. Stop asking the question. Of course she knew. The angel told her. Mary, did you know? Don't get me going. Mary said yes to a lifelong y'all, roller coaster of emotions. Because she knew. She knew she'd have to hold him close. She knew that she would one day, though, have to let him go. She knew that she dedicated him in the temple after 40 days. But she also knew that after she would feed him and clothe him and rock him to sleep. She was a mother, y'all. She rocked him to sleep, but she also knew that she would see him push away and grow into manhood. And she might not have understood all that Calvary would bring. But she no doubt carried the looming heartache of what she knew the Old Testament scriptures said. Is that he would be the Lamb of God slain. Mary, did you know? Yeah. She knew. And she still said yes. See, this was her call to discipleship. And she said, yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it, Lord. A hard road, yes. But y'all, it was a road that would lead her to places in her life a million earthly wonders could never compare. If you say, I'm telling you, if you say yes to discipleship, the path that God will lead you will open up to something that you have never, ever dreamed or imagined could happen in your own life. You know, some of the greatest places on earth are down the beat, those little small beaten paths. We camp completely different. I like to go out in the middle of nowhere, chart a new path, push back some brush, get a few chiggers and ticks, and make my way into the pristine area that no one's been there since the Native Americans. Those places are hard to find. They're hard to find because if I had to go there, I would be going there alone. Because that's not the way she camps. So our second anniversary, we decided, you know what, we're going to alternate. I'll take, the, I'll take the evens, you take the odds. So the second anniversary, we got married in March. We went to the North Georgia Mountains. We're going to tent camp. Well, we forged the creek, forded the creek. We got our stuff wet. We got everything set up. It was a balmy 40 degrees during the day. I quickly discovered we're going to have to negotiate. We're going to have to work as a team. We spent one night. It was a two-night trip. The second night, we ended up in town. We camped at the Red Roof Inn that night. <laughs> Here's the thing. What you say yes to has to be very strategic. It was, it was a call to discipleship. It, it was, it was, she didn't, she didn't, Mary didn't understand all of Calvary would bring. But she knew that if she was going to experience all that God had called her to, she got to walk a narrow path. And that's what would lead to some amazing things. C.S. Lewis said this, If you want a religion to make you really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. So church, when we say yes to the narrow path called discipleship, 
we will experience red-hot wonder. Red-hot wonder-working power of God, which nothing in the world will ever compare. There are some good things in this world. There are some things that, that, that God gives us as a good heavenly father. Some sweet memories, sweet moments, good food, great gifts, great people, wonderful family. You know, all those things. There, there are some sweet things, but it will not compare when you taste and see the goodness of the king. Working in you as a privilege. That will lead you to, to red hot wonder. That's what we need. We, 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 are, we are a nation that needs a red hot wonder of how God works around us and in us and through us when we just say the hard yes of discipleship. My dad's house has a, has a large stone fireplace. Um, we picked those stones up out of a field years and years ago when he built the house. And I remember as a kid, he would make a serious rip-roaring fire. And he didn't have one of these small pokers, you know, that you, that you, that you buy right now <clears throat> that's about this long. He had one of these custom-made pokers. It was, it was like a sword, you know. Anybody that has a fireplace like that needs a, a comparative fire poker. And, and, I, and as a kid, I'd always want to pick that thing up and poke the fire. But it was so heavy, I couldn't wield it. But I remember having those memories of him with that, with that black big piece of rebar with a sharp with a little handle on the end. And he would be poking that fire. That's a, that's a sweet memory to think about. Red hot. And what would happen is, is he didn't want me to use that poker because he knew that if you put that poker in the fire... It was just in the fire. But if you leave that poker in the fire, the fire would get in the poker. Y'all pick it up what I'm putting down? And if you leave it in the fire, that fire would get in that poker. And that poker, it would, it would just turn red hot. Because the environment of the fire would get in the poker. It would rub off on it. But that poker wasn't red hot because it just said, hey, I want to be red hot one day. That poker wasn't red hot because it said, hey, I'm going I'm to strain and, and I want to be in a hot mood. Today I want to be in a hot mood. That's not why it was hot. It didn't stress. It didn't strain to make itself red hot. It became red hot because of where it was hanging out. And so here's what I'm trying to say. Not only does the poker get red hot because of the fire, the fire is hot. But if it's taken out after it's been hanging out in that fire... And the fire has gotten in the poker. The reason he didn't want me to carry that around the house is because anything that that poker touches is set aflame. Amen? Because the poker was in the fire and the fire got in the poker, everything else was affected. And here's, here's what I really believe. The reason that our churches are touching stuff and nothing's burning. The reason that nothing's changing in our families the reason that nothing's growing is because we don't understand that red hot power does not come from effort or from programs or from even pastors. But red hot power comes through personal, intentional, daily discipleship. You just, you just sit down under the power of God's word and you let it get in you and you set everything aflame around you. 
And that's the point of discipleship. And that's the key to our land, church. That is the key to our land. It does not start in the White House. It starts in your house. It starts in my house. It flows over into this house. And then we go out from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And then all of the earth is set aflame because of each individual who has said yes to a privileged but hard discipleship and let God work and do something in brand new places. Write this down. It's the last thing on your notes. A changed, degenerate culture can only come through changed, regenerate people. That's the recipe for revival. It's not legislation. It's allowing discipleship to take hold of our hearts and get moving for the gospel. And so you may be thinking, what's the deal of all of this? You may be in an insignificant place. You, you may feel like you were in the middle of nowhere, and I have felt like that before. There's no place like this place anywhere around this place, so this must be the place, you know? You ever found yourself there? There may be a place right now that you feel God has abandoned you. And I hope the text this morning has encouraged you that there is no dark place that God can't call you out of. And I want, to, I want you to know, God knows your name. God knows your name, even though you may be feeling rejected or unethical or unspectacular. If you'll say yes to discipleship, I promise you, life will be different. So the challenge this morning is what's your yes today? Some of you already said yes. That's why you're here. You already said yes to intentional worship. Intentional, consistent discipleship. What is that yes? What is, what is that yes? You say, Lord, this is your will and I'm going to finally do it. No matter what it costs me. Maybe it's a full surrender. Maybe it's, a, maybe, maybe it's a consideration and a full surrender to the gospel. You will follow Christ as Lord and Savior. It may be full surrender exhibited in evidence of your salvation. That first step of a hard yes through baptism. It may be repentance of a hidden sin. You know, sometimes God will have to burn down the comforts of your life to flush the hidden sin out. Yeah, it, may, it might be an apology, somebody. What, what is that yes? It might be a new commitment to discipleship. Knowing that life is like a vapor. Darkness is always dark right before the dawn. Knowing that the return of our Lord Jesus is imminent. What is the yes? Whatever that yes is, my prayer for you is that we would live life with arms wide open. Let's be, let's be verse 38 type people. Let's be 138 people. Verse 38. I'll read it to you again. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your words. 
And then the angel left. Are you a 138 person this morning? What is that yes? Let's stand together. What is that yes? I want to be a 138 dad. I want to be a 138 mom. I want to be a 138 teenager. Serenity is 16 today. Happy birthday. I want to be that 138, 16-year-old that makes a difference in my school. That 38-year-old, that 48-year-old, 58, that mom, that new mom, that old mom, that grandmother. I want to be that type of person that says yes to discipleship. God, we thank you for moving in our midst this morning. God, we thank you for calling us to discipleship, for growing this faith family, for growing this body and strengthening this body around your word so far in 2021. God, you've been so good to us. God, I thank you for every single face in here, those that are guests with us, those that are partners in ministry with us. God, we are grateful that you even call us by name. God, I thank you, Lord, that you called me in Nazareth on, the, on Highway 83 South as a young person. God, you knew my name and you called my name. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you continue to call us day by day to know you more. That you put us in dark places, that you take away our earthly strength, but you strengthen us in our spiritual strength to point us back to you so that we would cling to you as you clung to the old rugged cross. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that was made. So God, I pray the next few minutes that we would do nothing but give you praise, honor, thanksgiving, stepping out, stepping up to whatever that next yes is in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you made a decision for Christ or need prayer, please shoot us a message on Facebook at Church 213 or an email at office at church213.com or give us a call at 770-385-6304.